0: Let's take our Bibles today and be turning to the book of 2 Corinthians and I certainly hope that you have your Bible with you uh, today and you'll follow along in the scriptures. We're going to uh, look at a very encouraging portion of scripture and uh, trust that it'll be a help to you. It's been a help to me just studying it, preparing it and and looking forward to um, presenting it today. And... uh, We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In just a moment, I'll begin reading in verse 6. Have you ever thought that what you were going through seemed too difficult to handle? And I think as I ask that question, uh, most of us have been there. We know someone that's been there. Maybe you've even heard some Christians say, as they spoke about uh, the difficulties of their journey, I just can't take any more. This is all that I can handle. Well, in the passage we're going to look at today, Paul is speaking about the grace that God promised him and the grace that God promises us to go through the most difficult of situations and not only to survive them, but to go through them uh, with the right perspective. And with that in mind, I want us to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 6. And the Bible says, Paul writing here, of course, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear. "...lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I should be ex- that I, lest I should be exalted above measure." For this thing, the thing that he was experiencing, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. So Paul is experiencing (coughs) this very difficult uh, situation where he was being buffeted by this messenger of Satan. And three times he asked the Lord to remove it, that it would depart from him. But look in verse 9, and this will be... uh, the key verse, really, for our lesson today. Verse 9, it says, And he said unto me, God said unto me, Paul writes, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we're going to... Uh, Look further into 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're also going to look into some chapters prior to this to really get an understanding of the context. But I just want to really think about this statement in verse 9 where Paul writes that God has communicated to him these words, My grace is sufficient for thee. Uh, Think about those words. My grace is sufficient for thee. And I want to speak on this subject today, sufficient grace. And I hope that you'll uh, join me in praying that God would help us to understand what the Bible has for us about this matter of God's grace and the sufficiency of His grace. And let's pray as we get started. Our Father, we pray You'd bless Your Word to our lives today. We need You We need understanding. We need insight. Lord, we need for you to help us to know your word, to know you, but also to know ourselves. We pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that you would um, speak to us as only you can through your word. I pray for that. Help us to be attentive, alert, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna talk about the grace of God. Most people who have any experience at all with uh, Bible terminology, have any experience in the word of God are familiar with that term grace, but I wanna begin by just defining that or describing it. Um, The Greek word that is translated in our English Bible as grace is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And that word charis is translated grace some 130 times in the New Testament. It's also translated in other places as the word gift or a gracious or a liberality or favor. It describes God's goodness. It describes God's generosity. It describes God bestowing good on his people, on others. Um, somehow etched in my memory is probably the first definition that I remember of the word grace after becoming a Christian and starting to attend church. And that definition is very simply God's unmerited favor, God's favor that is not earned or merited or deserved. Uh, some, Some have described grace as God giving us what we do not deserve. So grace describes God's goodness. God's goodness bestowed on those who are undeserving. Another definition of grace is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. And quite often we think of God's grace as it relates to salvation. And truly we should because we're saved by His grace And we receive the gift of eternal life, the gift of eternal life by His grace. But there are many other ways and places it's used to describe God's goodness and God's giving to us. And here Paul writes about one of those uh, times. Uh, A scripture that I I personally find as being a good Bible reference that describes grace is Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 where the Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Think about that. It's God working in you to will, that means to desire, and to do, to accomplish His good pleasure. It's God's working in us, God's grace working in our life. Now in our text in Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul needed God's grace to help him through an extremely trying time. And not only to get through it, but to have the right attitude about it. So that's grace defined. The second thing I want us to think about in our our message today is grace promised. Because this was God's promise in verse 9 to the Apostle Paul when he said... To, to Paul, my grace, this is God speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace, Paul, is sufficient for what you're experiencing right now. Now, before we just really get into this text in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, I just want to pull back just a little bit and, and try to appreciate what is happening in this passage uh, period of time that Paul is writing about and some of the things he's describing in this epistle, just a reminder as you look at the pages of scripture it says 2 Corinthians on it, that means it's an epistle, the second epistle of the apostle Paul to the church at Corinth and Paul has been writing about something, among other things he's been writing about uh, a defense of his apostleship uh, and writing it to the Corinthian church so let's, let's look back a couple of chapters and hold your place there in 2 Corinthians 12. But turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I just want to highlight some verses to help us kind of really put, to connect the dots about what's going on in Paul's writing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 8. Paul says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. He's saying there that he's talking about his authority. He's, again, he's defending his calling, his ministry, his apostleship. Uh, look in Second Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 5, he says, For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles... And, and if you read this whole passage, and I would encourage you to do that maybe this week in your, in your Bible reading, again, he's talking about he's comparing himself to others who were apostles, or who claimed to be apostles. And if you look in verse 13 of chapter 11, he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So he's He's in this very awkward position of defending himself. And in doing so, he realizes, he writes about the fact that he's appearing to boast, which is not something that we know, anything we know about Paul, we know that he would not be, this would not be customary for him to be boasting. So with that in mind, look look in chapter 11 where we are and look in verse 16. He says... I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. And then down uh, in verse 18 of the same chapter, 11, 18. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. The word glory there uh, synonymous with the word boast. And, and then he begins in verse 23, and we're not going to read this entire A passage here but notice what he says in verse 23 of chapter 11 are they ministers of Christ talking about these other people are they the servants of Christ the ministers of Christ he said I speak as a fool I am more and then he and he gives these this long and powerful and beautiful description of the things he's gone through and we're not going to read that today but then look, if you would please, in verse 30 of chapter 11. If I must needs glory or boast, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. So, so here we have the Apostle Paul in this position where he's defending himself and his ministry. Uh, one last reference to that. Look in chapter 12, if you would please, in verse 11. He said, I am become a fool in glorying. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. I shouldn't be having to defend myself or explain myself or give my credentials. He says, you should have been commending me. For in nothing am I, verse 11, behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing, verse 12... Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So I hope that you can see uh, as we introduce this message that that Paul in this context is having to defend himself. Now in doing this, back in chapter 12 is where we're looking. in, In doing this, Paul wrote about some of the remarkable experiences of his life. We haven't read these verses yet. Look in the first, very first part of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He's talking about things that he has personally experienced. Then he says in verse 2, I knew a man in Christ... Above fourteen years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, will I glory? Yet of myself, I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. So Paul is writing about this subject matter that we've talked about now, and he's he's um, he's now he's describing something that happened, some experience he had fourteen years previous to this, where he he says, "I I would." he would be tempted to, to boast of that. He would, you know, in verse 5, of such a one will I glory, yet not of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. And then, and so he's, so he's talking about, he, I think Paul is recognizing this. He's, he's acknowledging this, that there is this temptation, there's this opportunity in the context of all that we've talked about here in this passage uh, to glory or to boast in things that have happened to him. And uh, in in verse one there of chapter 12, he says, "It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. The word expedient, uh, a synonym of that would be it, it would be profitable or best. It's not best for me. It's not profitable for me to boast about these things. And truly, our boasting should not be in ourselves. Our boasting, should be in the Lord. Now look in verse 6, an interesting verse. For though I would desire to glory. He's acknowledging that there's a part of him that would like to boast. But he also goes on to say that would be foolish. For for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth me. He said, I don't want anybody to think of me more highly than they ought to. And I have written here in the margin of my Bible, just a personal note I made. And that is this, that at times we want the opposite. At times we probably want people to think of us more highly than we really are. But, but Paul said, I don't want anybody to think about me anything more than what he sees or knows me to be. And so he didn't want people to think too highly of him. him. Now, with that as a backdrop, with that as an introduction, with that as a foundation, we find this passage in verse seven where we begin, and we're going to look a little closer into it now. Because God did something in Paul's life to help him to prevent him from thinking of himself more highly than he ought to think. And notice what it says in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, the things that God had shown him, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure, to keep me, humble, to keep me from being exalted. And that was the whole purpose of this messenger Paul writes about was to keep his experiences from, from going to his head or really more accurately from going to his heart. Now how did Paul describe this in verse 7? He called it a thorn in the flesh, a something that was painful, something that was Pricking something that was hurt was would hurt for him to go through, and it was it was actually in verse seven attributed to Satan, the messenger of Satan. This is a satanic attack. He said, "I'm go- This is a st- this satanic attack that he was experiencing, and what? How did he describe um, how it felt to him? It says, "The messenger of Satan to buffet me." Now, the word buffet uh, means a a violent blow with the fist. He said, there's there's something that's happening to me. And it's satanic. It's a satanic attack. It's not just a mild thing. It's a serious thing. And it's a thorn in my flesh. Now, you and I can only imagine how painful, how difficult this was the Apostle Paul and to illustrate how painful it was look in verse 8 he says for this thing I besought the Lord thrice three times that it might depart from me when I read this often think about all the things the Apostle Paul went through in his ministry I mean Paul was beaten he was shipwrecked he was whipped he was stoned he was left for dead I mean, we're, not, we're talking about a man who had endured great affliction, great difficulty, great hardship for the cause of the gospel. And so we're not talking about someone that was, was, a, was a sissy, a wimp, someone who was, would easily complain. We're talking about someone who was a hardened soldier for Jesus Christ. And yet this was so painful that three times he requested that God would take it from him that he would be delivered from it. And what was, all, what was the purpose of all this? The purpose of all this was to keep him from being exalted above measure. And so what is it when Paul said numerous times, would you please get me out of this situation? I'm paraphrasing, of course. Would you get this off of me? And what did God say to him? We come back to our primary verse in verse 9. And he said unto me, God said unto him, to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. God said to Paul, My grace will enable you to go through this, to endure this. But we'll see, he didn't just promise to help him endure it. He promised to use this situation to make him better, that he would benefit from it. God spoke directly to Paul and said, my grace is sufficient for thee. God did not say, I'll take this away from you. No, he said, I'm going to use this, Paul, to make you better. I'm going to use this to help you. You know, when it says there in verse 9, my grace is sufficient, sufficient means always enough God says my grace will be enough my grace will suffice and by the way whatever our need is God's grace will always be enough let's read a little further in verse 9 where God says my grace is sufficient for thee and then notice this next phrase for my strength is made perfect in weakness Paul, there's a measure of my strength that that will actually be more in you. It'll be increased in you because of the weakness that you're experiencing because of this thorn in the flesh. God was going to use Paul's weakness to demonstrate his, God's strength. And so in this way, Paul is going to see, Paul is seeing right here before our eyes as we're reading this, Paul is expressing, Paul is communicating what he has experienced, what he has realized, and that is that it is in his best interest. It is in Paul's best interest for God to allow this thorn in his flesh to remain. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but I just want to say this to all of us today as we're looking into this passage and surveying this passage together. This same grace that God gave Paul God gives to us his grace is sufficient for the things that he allows us to go through and we like Paul sometimes may pray God please get me out of this please deliver me from this painful situation in my life and you know sometimes God does deliver us sometimes God may remove difficult situations from us but if he does not he promises us his grace To endure life's difficulties, but not just endure life's difficulties, to benefit from those difficult, hard things we go through. You know, John Newton wrote uh, this beloved, probably favorite hymn of so many people, Amazing Grace. And God's grace is amazing. But one of the verses says this, "...through many dangers..." Toils and snares, we have already come, and we have. Tis grace that brought us safe this far, and grace will lead us home. God's grace is sufficient. So we see in this passage thus far an explanation of grace. Grace explained, and we also see the promise of grace. And then thirdly, I want us to think about The grace received. How did Paul receive this grace? And this, this to me, takes something that is powerful and profound, the grace of God, and makes it applicable. It's something that is theoretical, but we want it to be personal and applicable and helpful in our life. And that's what we're going to talk about here as we see how this grace was received. And this is basically... How it was received, Paul was willing, when, he, when Paul understood, think with me now today. Paul was going through something so painful that he was pleading with God to take it away from him. But when he saw, by God's word, when he saw that what he's happening, what is happening in him, the pain he's experiencing, could actually make him better, he was willing to submit. To God and submit to God's plan, and in doing so, receive His grace. Look in verse 9, we're still in that verse. My grace is sufficient for thee. God says, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my weaknesses, my difficulties, my trials. my my sicknesses or illnesses or whatever the case may be. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, there's that word boast or glory, rejoice in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I I will most gladly not ask you to take away my difficulties, my infirmities, but I will glory in my infirmities that Christ may rest upon me in His power. In essence, what Paul was saying was if this torture that I'm going through will make me a stronger servant of God, I will gladly accept this. The word I would use is submissive. He was submissive to God's plan. I have to be honest and say we're not always like that. Quite different, as a matter of fact, at times. Uh, we fail to see how our painful experiences can actually make us stronger. And we see this throughout our lives. I, I especially see it in these recent days of uh, trial and situation we're going through uh, in our nation, in our world, in the fact that it's not what we want. It's not what we would ask for. It's an inconvenience. So for some, it's painful, painful from a physical point of view, a health point of view, painful from a financial point of view, or just from a spiritual point of view. It's not what we want. And yet, it may be that God could use this. His grace is sufficient for whatever we're going through. But sometimes we we don't, we were like Paul, we want God to take it away from us and we don't recognize, we don't readily acknowledge how it could actually make us stronger. In verse 10 then, Paul takes it further. Therefore, he says in verse 10, because of all this, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Imagine that. Paul says, I'm not just going to go through these hardships, but I'm going to take pleasure in them. Now that I know that God can use them, these distresses we go through for Christ's sake, now that I know that it'll make me stronger, that when I'm weaker, it actually allows God's power to rest upon me in a greater way. For when I am weak, last part of verse 10, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul knew that the weaker he was, the stronger he was becoming. You know, we have to be willing to submit to God. If we're going to experience this grace, this powerful, sufficient grace, we have to be willing to submit to God. We have to be willing to submit to His plan. Both in James, the epistle of James, and also uh, the first epistle of Peter, the Bible records these, this truth in both these places that God gives grace to the Who? To the humble. God gives grace to the humble. In James the Bible says humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Don't don't be prideful. Don't be resistant. Humble yourself and God will lift you up. Peter says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. Submit to him. God's grace is sufficient. The Bible is clear about this. God is clear about it. God's grace is sufficient, but we must humble ourselves to receive it. There's no limit to God's grace. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, but he giveth more grace. God, there's, no, there's no exhausting God's grace. It's inexhaustible. It's amazing. He giveth more grace. But you know what? Our pride sometimes keeps us from experiencing the sufficiency of God's grace. Paul allowed his circumstances to weaken him that he might be strengthened by God's grace. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What is it today that you need God's help with? You know, some people would say, well, really nothing. But most of us know there're things in our life where we need God's help. Maybe maybe some severe test or trial or some severe temptation, some place that we're just weak and vulnerable, some place that we that we keep falling. We need God's help. Maybe maybe current events, the fear that people have experienced or confusion or loneliness of the things we're going through. Maybe the Lack of employment or the loss of employment or some financial struggle. But you say, I need God's help. Maybe a family problem. Maybe a relationship problem. Maybe a personal inward conflict. Maybe dealing with some hurt from the past. Some bitterness. Someone that's wronged you. Some abuse you've experienced in your life. And you think, I just can't get over this. I can't handle this. I can never. But but today what we need is not more willpower. We need more of God's grace. All of us need God's help. The good news is His grace, His ability to help us. The treasure of His grace will always be more than enough. His grace is sufficient. His grace, God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for you today. And don't dismiss this and say, well, that may be good for the Apostle Paul, but you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. And God's grace is sufficient. And what God wants us to do is acknowledge that He is good and He is able to help us. His grace is sufficient. And not only, as I keep repeating this, not only is it enough to get us through the situation, but to help us be better because of it. To weaken us in our own resources, our own strength, that God's strength could be made perfect in our weakness. His grace is sufficient for you as a Christian. Paul didn't write this as a lost person. He wrote this as a a child of God saying, I was going through something so painful, so difficult that I didn't know how I could manage and I begged God to take it from me. But God said, Paul, I've got something better than taking it from you. I've got grace that's more than enough for you, sufficient for you to go through this and be better and stronger and a better servant of God because of it. My grace is sufficient. And I also want to speak... For a moment, to uh, this subject of being, becoming a Christian. There are people, I'm sure, who are watching this and hearing this. And in your heart of hearts, you're not really sure where you stand spiritually. You don't know that you're saved. But I want to say to you today, salvation has been provided. The grace of God to be saved and to be forgiven and become a child of God is, is plentiful. It's abundant. It's sufficient in God. But we have to be willing to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to admit our need. You cannot save yourself. I know sometimes religion says you can, you know, you can uh, do these works and jump through these hoops and if you'll do these things you can earn salvation, but that's not true. That is never ever taught in the Bible. That is not found in God's word. You cannot save yourself. We all have this in common. We're all in and of ourselves lost sinners and our sin separates us from God we're separated from God by our sin and no amount of good works no amount of religious deeds can somehow earn God's favor God does not give his grace to the deserving he gives it to the undeserving God does not give salvation to those that are spiritually well but to those who are spiritually sick and when a person sees themselves as a guilty sinner before God they realize how hopeless they are to save themselves but we're not saved by what we do we're saved by God's grace grace is our only hope and he gives grace to the humble You know, pride keeps people from admitting their need for God. And pride causes people to try to earn their way to heaven. But only only through the grace of God can any man come to God. And there are probably those watching, maybe even today. And you feel like you've sinned to such a degree that there's just no hope for you. But that's not so. You know, the Bible says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is a sufficiency of God's grace, God's favor, God's love, God's blessing, God's forgiveness, God's acceptance. There's a sufficiency of God's grace, God's enablement. There's a sufficiency of that in God's no matter how much a person has done wrong, God can still forgive that person. His grace is sufficient. You're probably familiar with um, a man by the name of John Bunyan. He was a Baptist preacher back in the 1600s. And my wife and I, when we were uh, in England, in Bedford, we were able to visit his home there in a little museum. It was a wonderful experience. John Bunyan was first arrested when he was 30. He was arrested for preaching without a government license. That same year, his wife died and left him with four children. One of those children was blind. He continued to preach, though. He was remarried. Bunyan would be released from prison, but arrested again and jailed. He just continued to preach whenever he could. While he was in prison, he only had two books with him, the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs. But in prison, while he was in prison, he wrote one of the most read books of all time, perhaps second only to the Bible, and that's Pilgrim's Progress. And in his autobiography, Bunyan Wrote of the goodness of God in his life. He recalled his life before he was saved. He recalled in his autobiography his conversion, his call to the ministry, and the 12 years he spent in prison for preaching the gospel. He called his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. God's grace is abundant. God's grace abounds. Right now, today, wherever you are, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient to save us from our sin. God's grace is sufficient to forgive us for every wrong that we've ever committed. God's grace is sufficient to see us through the trials of life. God's grace is sufficient to strengthen us when we're weak. God's grace is sufficient to restore us when we've gotten away from the straight and narrow. God's grace is sufficient. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. It's it's from the character of God. That's the nature of God. And how do we experience this grace? How do we appropriate this grace? Not by deserving it, not by demanding it, not by earning it, not by working for it. We we experience this grace by humbling ourselves, by submitting to God, by yielding our life to God. And if you're here today watching this and you're not saved... God's grace is sufficient. And right now, today, where you are, you could turn to Him by faith, repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation, putting your faith in His shed blood and His sacrifice on the cross for your salvation, and by the grace of God, be saved. For by. Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Call upon the Lord and ask Him to save you. And if you're a believer, a child of God, you know you're saved, but you're going through a hard time, or someday you'll go through a time that you think, I just don't know if I can... Go through any more. I don't know if I can handle any more. I want to remember this God's grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for thee. That's God's promise to the Apostle Paul. That's God's promise for us. I'm going to bow my head in just a moment and I want to just personally think about the grace of God, how wonderful it is in my life, how much I know I need it today how much I know I'll need it in the future. And as I do so, I would encourage you to do the same thing, to bow your head and just meditate upon that. Think about God's grace. Thank Him for His grace. And if you're not saved, ask Him to save you. Cry out to God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of His grace and salvation. Let's bow our heads for a moment. And after... A moment of just thinking this through, I'll lead us in a closing prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word today, for the power of your word. Thank you for preserving it for us that we can read and study the Bible, that we can be encouraged and helped and enlightened by the word of God. God, we thank you for your grace, your unmerited favor. We thank you for your goodness, your generosity. We thank you, Lord, for loving us when we were so undeserving. We thank you for salvation that's free. Not free because no one paid for it, but free as a gift to us because you paid the price yourself. We thank you for your grace in the storms of life. The grace that strengthens us, not with our own might, but by your strength, and your grace. Help us, Lord, to remember these lessons. Help us to put them away in our mind and our heart in a way that, Lord, we would remember them when we go through difficult times in life. Not just for us, but for others to share what the grace of God can mean in their life. God, we thank you. We praise you we give you glory for your goodness and your grace in jesus name amen once again i want to thank you for uh, tuning in and participating in these online uh, sermons and services and and i would just encourage you if you find the uh, the lessons the bible lessons to be helpful to be profitable to be encouraging Share that with others, tell other people about it. And it's not because that we want just want their attention, it's because we want people to be helped by the principles, the authority, the power of the Word of God. God bless you.